Today we're going to take up another topic related to meditation, which is controlling the mind. I've been guiding you through some meditations, as well as explaining the philosophy behind meditation. But even understanding the philosophy and understanding how to meditate, most people still have trouble controlling the mind. And they find that when they try to think of God, the mind goes back to the world. That's really the only place it can go. If our mind is anywhere within the divine field, meaning we're thinking of God or we're thinking of his leelas, something like that, then our mind is in God, it counts as meditation. But if our mind leaves God, where does it go? It only has one place left to go, the world. Because as you learned on the very first day, there are only three tattva, three, three eternal existences. We are one of those three. We are souls. And the other two are God and Maya. So if our mind is not in God, it must be in the world. That's definite. So when we're meditating and we say, oh, I'm having trouble controlling my mind, it means our mind keeps going back to the world. It will be helpful for us if we can understand why. Why does our mind keep leaving God and going back to the world? It's actually natural. There's a way to overcome it, but the problem itself is natural. It's not abnormal. It's normal. Why? Well, our mind is always active looking for happiness. Some of the philosophy I explained earlier in the week can also help us understand this. We are Anj of Bhagwan, and Bhagwan is Anand. Thus, we desire Anand. Because every anch desires his anchi, every part desires his whole. And our anchi, Bhagwan, happens to be the very form of happiness. Thus, desiring God and desiring happiness is one and the same. So everyone's mind is striving for one and only one thing, to find happiness. Sarvesham api bhūtānāṁ nripasvātmaiva ballabha itare patya vittādhyās tadvallabhatayaivahi The Bhagavatam says, everything we do is with this goal of finding happiness. Someone may say, no, there's a second goal as well. We want to avoid unhappiness. We want to find happiness and we want to avoid unhappiness. Sore, pain. However, this second goal is in fact included in the first goal. If you have found perfect happiness, that by definition means there's no unhappiness. So when you're experiencing joy, 
it means you're not experiencing pain. However, it's possible to be free from pain and yet not experiencing joy. For instance, when you go to sleep every night, what happens? Once you enter your dream state and then you go beyond that into sushupti avastha, your mind becomes free from any thoughts at all. Any pleasurable thoughts, any painful thoughts. So at that time we're completely free from pain, every night. It doesn't matter how miserable we are before we go to sleep. When we enter deep sleep, all of that pain is gone. Then when we wake up in the morning, if you're extremely miserable, you had something terrible happen to you, some kind of loss that's making you very sorrowful, you actually forget about it while you're sleeping. And then when you wake up, it takes you a minute to remember. First you think, wasn't I supposed to be miserable about something? <laughs> then you have to think, what was that? Oh yeah, that happened. Then all the pain comes back. But while we were sleeping, we were free from that. Yet we were not experiencing happiness. So the state of peacefulness, where one is free from pain and worry, is not synonymous with a joyous state, is not synonymous with a blissful state. But if you have bliss, then you are free from pain. It's included. It's understood. So that's why we just say the real goal of the soul is to get perfect happiness. And that includes already the relief from all pain and suffering. So we are busy every moment. Nahi kaschit charnamapi jatu tishthatya karmakrit. Gita says, your mind does not remain inactive even for a fraction of a second. Nahi kaschit charnamapi jatu tishthatya karmakrit. Bhagavatam says the exact same thing, exact same words. Your mind is always going every moment. Why? is looking for happiness. And why is it looking for happiness? Because it's the nature of our soul. Since it is a part of God, it automatically feels that attraction for God. And that attraction is felt in the mind. See, it's the soul who wants God. And the mind, which is a mayic thing, cannot fully understand what it is the soul wants. The soul is divine and is eternally related to God. So there's an eternal desire to attain God. How is that desire experienced in the mind? The soul, you can say, is constantly giving off this signal that it wants God. But that is received in the mind as a kind of feeling, which cannot be exactly put into words. And the mind doesn't know exactly what this desire is, but it feels it's getting this impetus from the soul to desire. What? Desire perfect happiness. That's all we know. And it's felt inside as a feeling of something is missing. 
There's some kind of yearning inside. I need something. What is it exactly? I don't know. My mind doesn't know because mind is mind. How can it know what, what is the relationship between soul and God? But soul is giving life to the mind. So the mind is the faithful servant of the soul. And since the soul is making this demand, the mind tries to the best of its ability to find what could please the soul. So deep within we feel that lack, that uh, feeling of something is missing and I need to get. That's what powers us. Every second we're running after that something that could fill that hole we feel, we feel inside. But our mind is unaware of this fact that that desire is actually the desire for God because God is perfect happiness. So without that knowledge, then the mind just sees the world and is, is being driven by this inner feeling, this restlessness to find happiness. And it sees the world in front of it. So what does it start doing? Dhyayato vishayan punsah sangasteshu pajayate Sangat sanjayate kama kamat krodho bhijayate Gita Then mind fixes on an object or a person Could be a non-living object Could be a living being, a person any other living being, and our mind says, this could give me happiness. It's the next logical step. I'm feeling this restlessness to find happiness, and I see this world around me, so then we choose something in the world as a potential source of happiness. And then we start dwelling on it in our mind, because our mind can do nothing else. It only has one job, to look for happiness. Even the things we do that we don't want to do are done because we believe somehow it's related to our search for happiness. We go to work. Many people don't like their work. They don't like having to go for, to work. But they do it anyway. They don't like to get up in the morning. But they do it anyway. Why? Because they know if I don't get up in the morning, I won't go to work, I'll get fired. If I don't have my job, how can I make money? If I don't have money, how can I enjoy this world? So even the things we don't want to do are done out of the desire for happiness. So our mind is quite naturally seeking happiness every moment in this world. So in this Gita Shlok, it says, Dhyayato. Our mind starts thinking about the objects of its desire that it has set its sights on. Why is it thinking about them? It has some positive hope of finding happiness from them. Now it keeps thinking about these objects. The more we keep thinking, An attachment is born in the mind. That attachment is the creation of our very mind. 
How did it get created? Through repeatedly thinking about that thing or that person as a source of happiness. The more we go on thinking, the more our mind builds this attachment. It goes on strengthening it. Then, now that we've built this attachment, it becomes like automatic. Now, automatically, since the mind has repeatedly thought of this thing or this person as a source of happiness, and it's built this attachment, now mind has a faith in that thing or in that person. And because of that, there's a desire that is... In other words, our, our desire for happiness has now been transformed into a desire for this person or this thing. The end goal is still to get happiness, but now the desire for that thing keeps coming in our mind. Why? Because we have an attachment. So what happens when we try to meditate? When we try to meditate, the things that we've developed an attachment for, the desire for those things comes in our mind. Or some fear related to those things comes in our mind, some worry. That attachment which grows it actually has, you could say, like a gravitational pull on the mind. The greater your attachment to something, the greater its pull is on your mind. So if you're trying to visualize Shri Krishna, where is the mind going to go? To whatever you are most attached to. And that's your own experience, I'm sure. Wherever you're attached, that's where your mind runs out to. Or you can say those are the things that come in your mind and replace the image of Sri Krishna when you're trying to think of him. Instead, the objects of your attachment come in your mind. So in this Gita verse, Sri Krishna says we desire these objects, then we strive to attain them. Naturally, that's the next step. And if you attain that object and you get to enjoy it, then what happens? Through enjoying it, you're now reinforcing your belief in this thing, that this is a source of happiness. By thinking about it as a potential source of happiness, you grew the attachment, then you got it. So while you're enjoying it, you're again reinforcing that. But eventually the enjoyment wears off. But that isn't the end of your desire. You enjoyed it to the point where you didn't want to enjoy it anymore, but that doesn't mean the desire for that thing is finished forever. It comes back. It comes back as greed. Greed just means multiplied desire. So you enjoyed that thing once, does that mean that you'll never need to enjoy it ever again? Oh, no, no, no. And <laughs> that's just the beginning. Now the mind thinks, oh, I got that much happiness from it last time, this time I'll enjoy it more, and I'll get more happiness. That's greed. Let's say you get it again, and you enjoy it more. Now is the mind satisfied? No. 
as just going to the next level. Again, the desire comes back with a further multiplied form. Jasa jasa sura sabadan barhava tasudugunna kapirupa dikhava. Just like Hanumanji when he jumped to go across to Lanka and Surasa came out of the ocean to test him, she was trying to swallow him, but Hanumanji made his body twice as big as Surasa's mouth so she couldn't swallow him. So then Surasa grew her mouth to be able to fit Hanumanji in. Then he doubled his size and this went on and on and on. This is like our desires in this world. We give the material required to satisfy that desire. Then what happens? Our desire grows. So we need to provide even more material. It happens in business. It happens in with food, whatever, wherever our attachment is. Someone may decide, I want a million dollar business. Once I get a million dollar business, tab aram se soonga. I won't have a worry in the world. But what happens? We get to that million dollar mark. Our mind is not even one iota more satisfied than it was when you were at the hundred thousand dollar mark. Now your mind starts thinking, I wonder if I could get to the hundred million dollar mark. And if you achieve that goal, you start thinking about a billion dollars and on and on and on. Even the most wealthy people in the world haven't reached that point where they feel like, okay, that's enough. I really don't need any more money. We never reach that point. We don't reach that point with any type of enjoyment in this world. We may get temporarily bored of something, but we always come back to it to enjoy it again. And the more we keep enjoying it, the more we need of that thing to get the same level of enjoyment that we had before. That excitement you felt when you bought your first car, it may have even been a used car, like a used Toyota Corolla, but it's your car. So that excitement you felt, and then maybe the next time you got a car, you got a brand new car, but getting that brand new car, I don't think it gave you more excitement than when you got your first used car. Maybe the same. Then after you made some more money, maybe you got a brand new Mercedes. But getting that Mercedes didn't give you more excitement than getting your first brand new car. Nor did it give you more excitement than getting your first used car, which probably didn't even give you more excitement than when you were a kid and you got the toy you wanted. Same, same level of excitement. So just because the amount of material that we're giving ourselves to enjoy is growing, doesn't mean the level of happiness is growing. It pretty much stays the same. The king and the cow appear to be in living on very different levels. The king enjoys royal delicacies prepared in the, in the kitchen, in his palace. And the cow chews on grass in the field.
But the cow is getting the very same amount of enjoyment from eating that nice fresh grass that the king gets from eating his chappan bhog. No difference in the level of happiness. Dekhne mein antar hai. We think when we look at our neighbor, oh my neighbor has a private jet. If I had a private jet, how happy I would be. But it's no difference than the toy to the used car, to the new car, to the Mercedes, now you're going up to a private helicopter or a private jet. We just make the assumption that he has more than I have, so he must be happier than I have. But we haven't analyzed the situation correctly. If we really looked at the history of our own life, we would understand that multiplying the possessions doesn't multiply the happiness. So this is greed of the mind, and it goes on endlessly. There's never been an example of a person in this world who could enjoy the world so much that they said, okay, like they made some kind of announcement that everybody, I've done it. I enjoyed this world until I got to the point where I didn't need to enjoy anything more ever again. I was perfectly satisfied. No one has ever reached that state. If you know anybody, please introduce me to them. That by enjoying worldly things so much, they got to the point where they said, that's enough. I never need to enjoy anything ever again. This is the natural cycle of desire which goes on endlessly in the mind. And if we're denied the thing we want, then instead of greed, we get anger. The anger is because we didn't get what we want. We get frustrated, we get depressed, dejected. So, all of this is due to our desiring in this world. If you desire the world, one of two things is going to happen, right? You'll get what you want, or you won't get what you want. So if you get what you want, what happens? The desire comes back stronger than it was before. You're not free from that desire. It actually multiplies. It's like trying to put out a fire by throwing ghee on it. You get a temporary reduction in the flame when you pour the ghee on, but once the ghee catches fire, it comes back much bigger than it was before. So you get a temporary, the, the mind feels a, a temporary peace when it gets the thing that it wants, but that's only for a very limited time. Eventually that desire comes back greater than it was before. And if we're denied that thing, then we have the negative feelings like anger. So, hum bach nahi sakte. Jaise hi kamana aai hai, hum phans gai. Ya to lob aayega, ya to krod aayega. This is the cycle of worldly desire, described in the Gita. This is the psychology, human psychology, explained by the Gita. You can understand all of our actions <laughs> through this one shloka. The reason that I'm telling you all of this is so you can understand how your mind works, and you can also understand that it is quite natural that we're all in this situation. 
There's nobody who's not in this situation unless they're God realized. So it's quite natural that we have desired the world and we have developed all these worldly attachments and that when we try to meditate on God, instead all the worldly things come in our mind. The reason is that we have never created that attachment to God in our mind because we've always considered the world to be the source of our happiness. So, why would our mind go to God? My Guruji, Padruji Maharaj, he used to say that so many people come to him and would complain to him that Maharajji, hamara man nahi lagta bhagwan mein. Kyo nahi lagta? So Maharajji would say, Aray, lagega kyo? Kaha likha hai ki lagega? Lagana to siddhi hai. Aapko lagana padega pehle. So, the mind naturally being attached to God is a more advanced stage. To reach that stage where your mind is just naturally attracted to God, you have to practice. Our mind right now is very conditioned to go towards the world. It's our habit. Plus we have the attachments pulling us there. Plus we have the fact that we can't see God, but we can see the world. Plus we have the fact that our mind is mayak and the world is mayak. So there's an automatic attraction between the mind and the world. Just like there's an automatic attraction between the soul and God. So we have all these factors working against us, in fact. For uncountable lifetimes we have considered this world to be the form of happiness. We have reinforced our faith over and over again that we will find happiness in this world. Thereby our attachments in this world have gotten so deep that we don't even understand how deep they are. <laughs> Sometimes people say, Oh, I don't have any attachment in this world. And then something bad happens to them, someone close to them passes away, and all of a sudden they're hit with all this emotion. And they say, where did that come from? <laughs> That's because of the attachment. We, didn't, we don't even realize it's there. It's so deep in our mind. So it's quite natural that we find it difficult initially to think of God. And it's quite natural that our mind is more drawn towards the world. However, this situation can be changed. How can it be changed? First of all, with correct knowledge. And second of all, by practicing according to that new correct knowledge. The mind on its own without knowledge will always just run towards the world. 100% of the time. Although the soul is drawn towards God, because the soul is divine and is unch of God, yet the mind distorts this desire of the soul for God. It, it can't understand what it is. It just feels a yearning for something. So, 
since it sees the world around it and it is made of the same energy of the world, so there's already an attraction felt by the mind towards the world, so automatically the mind goes towards the world. The only way to overcome this is with education. Our scriptures, like Vedas, Gita, Purana, Ramayana, and the great saints who come in this world to explain those scriptures to us, they educate us. They explain to us the nature of worldly happiness, the nature of the cycle of worldly desire, so that we can gain an awareness of how our mind works and what is the, the true nature of this worldly happiness. And then once we understand that, that's not enough. Just saying that this thing is not what you're looking for, that's not enough. You have to then say, this is the thing you want. If you just tell your mind, okay mind, you go on enjoying this world and you'll never be able to find perfect happiness. You have seen for yourself, just your desires go on multiplying and your level of happiness stays the same. And you always have the same level of dissatisfaction as well. Mind says, okay, I can accept that, but who cares? At least it's something. At least I want to enjoy something. Show me something better, then I would consider turning from this towards that. Otherwise, if you just say, no, no, this is no good, leave it. It's like someone who hasn't eaten in 10 days and he finds a, a dry piece of bread. He'll happily eat that dry piece of bread. If you see him with that in his hand and you just swat it out of his hand and say, oh, what are you doing? Eating a dry piece of bread, that's useless. He'll dive on it and pick it up even from the floor and start eating it. He hasn't eaten in 10 days. You can't convince him to abandon that piece of bread. But if you present him with a nice fresh, fresh cooked meal, chole bhatura, <laughs> some fresh paratha and butter, something like that, put that in front of him, then he'll toss that old piece of bread away without even thinking twice. So we have to give a, another option to our mind. This is why just detaching the mind from the world is impossible. As soon as you detach it, where will it go? You can't hold it in a state of nothingness. <laughs> it's going to look for happiness. So you tell it, no, happiness is not here. Okay, then it goes straight back. A lot of people get confused about that point. Because people have been hearing since their childhood, oh yes, it's good to be detached from the world. Vedas, Gita, every scripture tells us, detach your mind from the world. So people have some idea of that, and yet they're also afraid of that idea. And they don't understand how to implement that idea. So we have to both bring the mind from the world and then attach the mind to God. How? Through understanding. 
The same way you brought the mind from the world. Mind, understand, there is happiness in the world, but it's very limited and it can't give you perfect satisfaction. You want perfect happiness, that is only in God. So mind, come from here, attach to here. That's meditation. Thinking that over and over again will undo what all, all what we've set up, all these deep worldly attachments, which cause our mind to always leave God and go to the world, we can undo that gradually. How? One thought at a time. You can't have ten thoughts at a time. You can only have one thought at a time. So that one thought is, okay, mind, you're looking for happiness. You're about to go running after this same worldly thing again. What happened the last time you enjoyed this thing? Well, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't perfectly happy, and afterwards I was kind of disappointed, and then I looked for something else to enjoy. Okay, mind, knowing that you only have a limited limited lifespan to live, you want to keep spending your whole life doing that same thing over and over again? You want to try something different. So instead of running after that, why not think of God? God is where your true happiness is. So through that understanding, you take the mind from this and attach it to God. How will the mind get attached to God? Same way it got attached in the world. You thought of the world as a potential source of happiness. That's why your mind got attached to it. So think of God as happiness. When I reach God, I will get perfect happiness. This is what has been promised in the scriptures and by the saints. And reiterated by all of the saints, corroborated by all of the saints. That yes, I attained God and I got perfect happiness. So on the basis of that, we channel our desires from the world towards God. Now we understand. Why does the mind go towards the world? Because it's looking for happiness. And because we've always sought happiness in the world, now the mind has so many worldly attachments that it's automatically drawn towards the world. But we can develop the same attachment for God through the very same process. Vishayan dhyayataschittam vishayeshu vishadjate maamanusmarataschittam mayyeva praviliyate Bhagavat Shri Krishna tells about this meditation. He says, normally we're always meditating on the world. We're always dwelling on the objects of our desire in the world. He says, by doing that, you're just increasing your worldly attachment. But if you do the very same thing for me, then your mind gets attached to me, and eventually you attain me. Through this very process, there's no other way of attaining God, but gradually bringing your mind towards God. Through this process of thinking that happiness is not in the world, it is in God. Your mind may argue, but I have found happiness in the world. Then remind it, okay, yes you did, but what was the quality of that happiness? Are you, is that enough for you? Is that satisfying to you? Or do you want something more? Your mind will say, no, we want more. I want the best. I want perfect happiness. Okay, that is in God. 
You have to have faith in that. Just like you've had faith in the world up until now, you have to have faith in God, that happiness is in God. However many times we think that, that's how big our attachment in God will grow. Now eventually, the attachment to God becomes more firm. That's when the meditation becomes more natural. You've probably heard the expression, give someone an inch and they'll take a mile. It means you, you just give them a little opening and they come in all the way. Krishna is like that. You see, these jadapadart of this world, these things of this world which are just made of lifeless material energy, when they have such a strong hold on our mind, and they are just light things. Imagine Shri Krishna, who is actually the form of divine bliss, who is Chetan. If we start bringing him in our mind, what will happen? There's a saying that, uh, you know, if there's some homeless person, some uh, someone who's wandering, and he finds a house and he says, you know, maybe the owner of this house will let me get out of the hot sun. So he goes and he knocks on the door and he asks the owner. The owner says, sure, sure, you can sit on the porch here in the shade, no problem. Have yourself a rest. So he sits there for some time. And then he says uh, to the owner, you know, I'm feeling very tired. Is it okay if I go inside and lay down on your bed and have some rest? been many days since I had a good rest. Okay, sure, sure, come on and lie down on my bed. So he lies down, has himself a good rest. When he wakes up, he says to the owner, you know, you've been enjoying this house for a long time. Why don't you let me own this house now for some time? <laughs> Shri Krishna is like that. If you open your heart to him a little bit, he comes in and he takes over. Because he is all attractive. But we first have to overcome that initial inertia, you can say. Just like it's hard in the beginning to get something, to get an object in motion. You have to overcome the inertia. Once it's moving, it's much easier to keep it in motion. Similarly, initially it takes more effort to get our mind to start thinking of God, but eventually we we cross that threshold and it starts becoming much more natural. Just like you become addicted to things in this world through repeated use of them and repeated thinking of them as a source of happiness. Anyone here who drinks chai, you were not born drinking chai. You didn't come out of your mother's womb and say, <laughs> you learned that somewhere along the way. You got a taste of chai and you started, maybe, I don't know if you liked it the first time or not, but if you kept drinking it and eventually you started liking it and it became a habit. And now if you don't have the chai at that time every day, the chai comes and tells you, <laughs> it's time, come and have me. So, 
The same thing can happen with Sri Krishna. Through repeatedly thinking of him, your mind eventually gets attached. And just like the chai comes and reminds you, Krishna will be so much in your heart that you will find it difficult to forget him. Eventually we can reach that stage of the gopis. One time Naradji came down to Braj and he saw a gopi sitting on the bank of Yamuna River with her legs crossed and sitting in a med meditative pose with her eyes closed. He was wondering that, uh, I wonder, this gopi must be meditating on Sri Krishna. So when she opened her eyes, he asked, that how, how are you meditating? Pratyahritya muni charnam vishayato yasmin manodhitsati bala sau vishayeshu sajjati manah pratyaharanti tatah yasya spurti lavayahantahridaye yogi samutkanthyate she says, no, no, I'm not trying to remember Sri Krishna, I'm trying to forget him. I can't get him out of my mind. I can't get him out of my heart. No matter what I'm doing, where I'm going, he's the only thing I see. He's the only thing I think of. So Naraji was amazed. He says that great munis, they spend their whole life trying to remove their mind from the world and attach it to God even briefly, and they fail. And here is this gopi trying to remove her mind from God and attach it to the world. Just to get a little re relief, see the gopis are so attached to Sri Krishna that the form of their behavior is not siddha, it's more tera, like someone that you're very close with. You tease them sometimes, right? You don't always behave in a straightforward way with them. Sometimes you, the person you love the most, you may say that, uh, have you looked in the mirror lately? <laughs> do you know, who do you think you are? And the person likes it. They don't know oh, this person is so affectionate towards me, they're teasing me a little bit. So it's a way of expressing the love. Similarly, the, go the gopis used to have this type of interaction with Sri Krishna sometimes. So that's why she's saying, I'm trying to forget him. I can't do any of my household chores. I'm always drowned in thinking of him. Maharaji says, there are great yogis who meditate their whole life trying to get just a, one glimpse of Krishna in their samadhi. And here the gopi is meditating, trying to forget Krishna and bring the world into her mind, even for a moment, and she's failing. So eventually we will become so attached to Sri Krishna that we will reach that stage. Right now our state is Thik Ulta. It's got Thik Ulta. We can't forget the world, even if we want to. But that is only because of this whole process that I've described, that so far we've only used to increase our worldly attachments. 
If we divert all of that activity of the mind towards God, then we can also start to build our attachment in God. It means instead of desiring happiness, we start desiring happiness from God. This doesn't require physically leaving the world. It doesn't demand that at all. Because physically we have to be doing something. Shariyatra pichate naprasidhyeda karmana. In the Gita, Shri Krishna tells Arjuna that, Arjuna, you have to do something to support your physical body. No one can do nothing. No one can leave this world. This body belongs to the world. As long as you have a body, you have to be in the world. You have to be doing something. So, developing an attachment to God doesn't require someone to leave the world. doesn't require someone to physically renounce things. You still need to make use of all of those things that you need for your physical life. But you don't need to consider those things a potential source of your perfect happiness. That's the adjustment that needs to be made. Instead of looking at all the things of this world as being there for our upabhog, we should look at them as being there for our upiyog. They're there for us to make use of, to maintain our physical body. Because our body is made of maya, and the things of this world are made of maya. But our soul is divine, so it needs God. So God is for our upabhog. God is for engrossing our mind and enjoying to get happiness. And the things of this world are for our upiyog. If we mix that up, if we confuse that, then we live a life of confusion when it comes to our happiness. And we never are able to understand, why do I spend my whole life seeking happiness and I fail again and again? I get disappointment after disappointment. We remain confused about that. But with the correct knowledge, we can divert our desire for happiness towards God. This is required for anyone who wants to attain God, for anyone who wants to attain happiness. So don't think, well, I'm a grihasti, this doesn't apply to me. It applies to everybody who wants happiness. If you want happiness, you have to attach your mind to God. And the only way the mind will attach to God is if you consider God as the source of happiness instead of the world. As long as the mind has this ingrained wrong notion that happiness is in the world, the mind will never get diverted towards God. It will always keep having faith and finding happiness in the world. So although this seems like a difficult thing, I'm sure, to most of you, and sounds like a scary thing, I don't want to give up my worldly attachments. <laughs> the choice is ours. It doesn't require leaving anything physically, but it does require us changing our thinking. It doesn't mean you don't need to earn money. It just means you have to change the way you think about what is that for? <laughs> that is this actually going to give me happiness, or is it just something I need to do?
because everyone needs to earn something in this world. So you make that adjustment and you make God the goal of your life in terms of happiness. In fact, you don't have to think about the worldly attachments and how to reduce them. All you have to think about is God and attaching your mind more to Him. Your mind doesn't want to give up those worldly attachments. So don't scare yourself by thinking about that. Just think about God more. That this is where my happiness is. As that attachment grows, naturally the mind will, without fear, start releasing the worldly attachments because it will experience for itself that, oh, I'm getting real happiness by doing Rupdhyan on God. So this is replacing my need for the happiness that I was getting from these worldly things. It's replacing my dependence on these worldly things with a dependence on Shri Krishna. So this is how it works. We can gain control over the mind very gradually, step by step. The more our mind becomes attached to God, the more control we get over our mind, the more the negativities of the mind will subside, and the more the positive qualities of the mind will grow. In addition to that, the more happiness and satisfaction we enjoy through God's grace, which is received by doing the Surudhyam. So does anyone have any questions about all of this, how the mind works, attachments, meditation on God? Now's your chance to ask if you would like to. Shri Krishna and his divine abode are one and the same. God and his abode are not separate. Instead, God himself has become his abode. So the abode is Shri Krishna in another form. He's expanded himself into the form of his divine abode. The reason I'm telling you this is so that you can have more options of how to do Dhyana. I described the form of Shri Krishna to you. I described how you can do some worship to Shri Krishna, some puja to Shri Krishna, some seva in your meditation. Now we can think about his divine abode because by thinking of his divine abode we are still thinking of him even if we're not even visualizing Shri Krishna. As long as you have the intention in your mind that this is Krishna's divine abode and his divine abode is omnipresent just like he is, 
So when you think of his divine abode, you are joining your mind with Shri Krishna directly. In Shri Krishna's divine abode, there are places called Kunj. Kunj means a natural setting, a beautiful natural setting, like a wood garden, a wooded area where there is a big tree providing a sheltered area. So you can go underneath that tree and the tree is high above you and its branches reach out wide to the sides and provides a circular area underneath which is clear and there's soft lush green grass growing in that sheltered area. This is a kunj. Radha Krishna do many lilas, many of their pastimes are performed in the kunjas of Vrindavan. Vrindavan is Radha Krishna's divine abode, their omnipresent, eternal divine abode. So see yourself now in this divine abode, standing in the kunj or sitting in the kunj. All around the kunj, all of the flowers, all of the plants and all of the bushes, they all have flowers, different colored flowers. And all of the flowers have different, very mild but very deep fragrances. Even the grass has flowers, tiny little flowers on it. The tree is also a flowering tree. And it has flowering vines wrapping around its trunk and climbing up into its foliage and hanging part way down. So there are flowers everywhere. There's a gentle breeze which is moving through the kunj, which takes the fragrances of those flowers with it and brings those fragrances to you as you sit there in the kunj. Nearby, you see Yamuna rivers flowing, beautiful, pristine Yamuna river. You can hear the gentle lapping of the waves as Yamuna flows by. The weather is very pleasant. It's a perfect, comfortable temperature for sitting in the grunge. And as you sit there, you just think of Shri Krishna. You can hear a sound as if all the trees and plants are saying, Radhi, Radhi, Radhi. Even the birds, peacocks, 
the squirrels, all the animals, they also seem to be in their own blissful state, flying around, moving around happily. And it looks like everyone is waiting for Shri Krishna. You are also waiting for Krishna. As you wait there, you can just think, when will Krishna come to me? When will I meet him for real? Like he came to Namadev. Like he came to uncountable saints before. He will also come to me. When will that time come? So you're sitting and waiting for him. In your heart, you feel confident that one day he will come because he is yours and you belong to him. So you feel confidence and a desire to meet him, a yearning to meet him. Try to increase that desire to meet Krishna. This desire will develop more attachment in your mind to Krishna. So think about meeting Krishna. When will he come? As you continue this meditation on your own, in your own way, you can develop however you want. We're going to add some chanting, some kirtan. And as we do the chanting, you can continue to visualize yourself in this kunj. Using all of your senses, you see the kunj around you, you also smell the fragrance of the flowers. You feel the warm, gentle breeze moving. You hear Yamunaji, you hear the waves lapping. Use all of your senses to experience this divine world of Sri Krishna and try to increase your desire to meet him. Thank you.